Sometimes I made a mistake last week. In describing source generators, I was trying to contrast them with Fody, and in doing so, I did a terrible job. <laughs> I think I ended up insulting the author of Fody, uh, Simon Crop. And I just want to take a moment and personally apologize to Simon for any negative remarks I said about Fody. I didn't actually intend anything negative like that, but upon review, I realized that I could have been so much more eloquent in putting over uh, what I was actually thinking. So I didn't intend any harm, and I just want to apologize to Simon before this episode begins. Yeah, and I think from my point too, we tweeted out um, some apologies, and really, it was never really our intention. the The reason that I had even brought up Fody in the beginning of the pod, which we we took down, we didn't think that it um, is 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 right at all to have that type of content up based on us just re listening and and being you know looking and listening to what we we said. We don't think that reflects of our actually what we were trying to get across. The reason I brought up Fody is because I had got a lot of people asking me about comparisons and I wanted to try to get to the core level of how the two technologies are different. And, you know, we love every single open source or every single developer, or every single library creator out there. And it's never our intention to um, use words that make something come off negative or that we say that something is not good. It wasn't our, our, our intention at all. And we do apologize. And like you said, and, and we said, we, we strive to make this podcast merge conflict, a celebration of software development and developers. And we're taking it as a learning lesson, right? To grow. We um, deeply apologize to not only Simon, but any of all the other contributors to the project. And, uh, you know, we took down the episode to correct our mistake. We wanted to put out this message at the beginning of this podcast uh, to let everyone know. And, and, you know, we'll do right by the Fody um, team and the entire open source community uh, and make sure that when we go and we talk about technologies, uh, we do it thoughtfully and, um, and we, we pay respect to the hard work and dedication that the community has done. Nicely said, James. Thanks for <laughs> bailing me out a little bit there. I feel that it's a lot of me putting my foot in my mouth and I do apologize for it. And thank you all for uh, bearing with us as we learn as I learn, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that for just myself. Everything is a, is a learning opportunity. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we want to take this time just to, of course, thank, um, Simon and the team, uh, and everyone that's contributed to Fody and every single open source project out there, um, for being awesome. And we, we love all of you. And, uh, and of course we'd love to have, uh, Simon on to talk about Fody itself. So we, we reached out and maybe we'll have Simon on in a future podcast. Uh, so, um, yeah, if you have any comments or want to let us know, uh, go ahead and go to mergeconflict.fm. You can hit the contact button and uh, we'll go from there. So with that, we will go into our WWDC recap. This is our Woo. special time every year where we talk about WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference. Yes, James, it has happened. Apple has told us how we're spending our summers. And while I always want to be positive toward the programming community, um, I have a lot of things to say <laughs> about all the stuff that was announced here. So I, I'm going to keep it positive, though, in the spirit of all the lessons learned. But this is going to be a fun one because there were a lot of things announced. I, you know, there was one big thing, but I feel like it was just a lot of little things. And I feel like that happens every year. We're at the stage where the platform is so big that even if you just do little improvements to every part of it that's just a lot of things so curious to see how long this episode is going to be 
Yeah, it's a, you know, I think this is true of every single major tech conference. So Google I.O., Build, and WWDC, they continue to grow as the development platform continues to grow. And you see this with Google I.O. While they didn't have it this year, I've attended many of them. And it when it first went, it was very dedicated on uh, like Chrome and Android development. And then it went to um, Firebase, and then it went to Flutter development, and then it went to, it has like all, then the Google uh, Google Cloud services. And like, you know, has all of these things where I remember going to the first Google I.O. and it was basically just Android development and that was it. And now it's all the things. And yeah. and there are major keynotes inside of there, but it's it's not an Android conference anymore. It is all things Google. And this is now all things Apple, just like Build was all things Microsoft, right? When I attended uh, Build back in Redmond, when I went to uh, PDC before Build, there was literally in the three, before times in before the build before times. in the before times <laughs> there was there was literally three tracks uh which was azure i know maybe two tracks i think it was azure and windows like that was it like yeah. those were the two <laughs> things and and it was all azure and, and really just .net right and and, this, and these things were newer where nowadays you go to build and it's all the things right it's all of the .net it's all of the different programming languages all of azure it's all of the operating systems it's all of the browser it's all of the different tooling that is out there and and apple has been evolving and continuously evolving their operating systems with things like ipad os they've added new devices with watch and tv os but nowadays they have even more services uh and there's just so much in the core system and i think what's unique now is that last year they started and this year they are finalizing the push to make Mac OS, the desktop, again, a key focal point of the entirety of the platform. So there's so much in here to really unpack. But I think before we go and unpack each platform like we've done in the past, let's first recognize that um, this year was the most worldwide of the developer conferences, just like <laughs> Build was, which is everybody in the entire world could go for free, which is awesome. And there were very different conferences, by the way of build and apple they're very different yeah. while both being online yeah it's fun to play compare and contrast with microsoft versus uh apple microsoft was almost like a talk show it felt like they were kind of mm -hmm. doing like a jimmy fallon thing <laughs> throughout the entire thing bring on a guest have some things that was really fun it was really casual um apple went with the we are going to show you our gorgeous empty campus thanks mm -hmm. to the virus um but with stunning camera movements and augmented reality displays to just this is something I actually really loved. Like Apple's been pushing AR and AR kit a lot. It was really wonderful to see them using that technology in the presentation. I don't know if they're actually using like AR kit to put those screens up yeah. because those camera movements were gorgeous. And that thing was locked on tight to the background and sure. They cheated in some place had lots of synthetic backgrounds, but man, great camera work, great production quality. Um, very uh, 2001 uh, futuristic, 1960s futuristic. Yeah. It's kind of gorgeous. I I was very torn on this uh, because I didn't know how to feel because I didn't know what I was looking at because everything was so shiny and pristine. There were reflections and there was focal. And then I'm looking at 
you know, I'm looking at hair follicles to see if things yeah. are green screened or not. Like, <laughs> exactly. Is that thing real? And then the cuts obviously are like, you're in the same place, I think, but maybe the whole campus looks identical. I don't really know. So it was very jarring because, you know, it was so orchestrated. It was so production. And then I remembered Apple, like they are a TV production house really at the end of like yeah. Apple TV plus, like they make films and TV. They could probably get a camera. They probably know someone who owns a camera. I think yeah. that's what we're saying. And a very expensive tracking rig. Cause mm. that I still I like some of that. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not a video person. How much of that was a virtual set, but it really looked like Tim was up there running up some stairs, right? Yeah. Like you can't mm-hmm. do that on a pure green screen. That would be too much. Uh, anyway, fun. I I was really curious if it was just going to be a giant Zoom call, to be honest. I'm like, <laughs> how much are they going to do here? How much production work are they going to do? And Apple, true to their nature, a ton of production work. Yeah. And they did something different. So day one, I, I, I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed how they did this, which was they had the big keynote two hours long, and then they had uh, platform deep dives. And there was just two or three sessions or something like that day one and and that was it they were longer they were more intense they were all the all the features it was um keynote it was and platform state of the union and then that was kind of it there was like a q a thing and a you know little shorter things but that was kind of all day one and uh it was a lot to take in yeah it's good that way because like if you're an apple nerd like me for the last six months you're like what are they going to announce especially with the virus that screws up all kinds of schedules like what's actually going to make it into this release and so just monday is here we're just going to give you a broad overview mm-hmm. of everything and let you process that overnight hopefully you'll come in refreshed ready to learn the exact technologies that you're most interested or slash most fearful of <laughs> as in yeah. my case sometimes yeah <laughs> in, in comparison then all of the days so right now we're recording this on the 23rd and when you woke up in the morning like just the videos were there and you know some of them are longer most of them around 20 minutes or some are 30 some are shorter 10 minutes and they're really high production value um they're you know they're all inside of some studio usually or something like that some are just, you know, video over a slideshow. There's a little bit difference there based on like where the person could be, but they're all really high end videos, uh, that I can tell at least from the few that I've scrubbed through, but then the next few days you can't get there yet, you know, and they just sort of unlock as time goes on. I'm not sure why that is. Um, but no, nothing is live, like nothing. There's not one thing live. There's no interaction. There are new forums, but beyond that, it's just, here's a bunch of videos. Yeah, and I almost prefer that because um, Q&A sessions tend to get clipped off anyway in Apple-released videos. And so I like them emphasizing the forums, and they did a forum makeover. And who knows how much information is going to get lost in that forum makeover, as happens with every kind of forum makeover. But at least a forum is a record until the next makeover, but it's a record um, that you can search uh, so you don't always have to ask your own question or feel silly because you can't figure something out. You can let someone else feel silly and post a question for you. So I actually kind of prefer that, um, you know, in this age of video conferences, I don't see much purpose in the live, like maybe a live chat room afterwards, but not for the, um, not for the presentation itself. I don't see the need. Yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a struggle. I know that, um, 
when build they had sessions some were pre-recorded ahead of time so there was just a bunch out like as soon as the conference started and then there were live sessions that were done in three time zones so there yeah. you know you could see scott and scott so hunter and hanselman at you know five or like like i don't know 11 a.m 5 p.m and 3 a.m you know so it had all the time zones uh, it was done live i don't know i i think that yeah. probably having everything live and trying to tune into everything is a little bit much. And then what's the delay in having the videos if they're simultaneously there, because I guess you could just show up at the end of the day and just say, okay, I can watch all the videos now. <laughs> so I don't know if there's a big Binge difference watch. between, but yeah, the question is, do you want that Q and a, do you want that interaction or anything like that? Yeah. That more conferencey feel. I think I don't even really like calling these video conferences because the conference almost by definition is people getting together and talking to each other. So if you don't have that hallway conversation, I'm like, is it really a conference? I don't know. At least not the kind of programmer conferences I'm used to. But at the same time, it's just playing that compare and contrast game. Microsoft was really bold in doing so much live content in multiple time zones. That is a huge amount of effort and organization. It's probably the same amount of effort as putting that much Mm-hmm. post-production production quality into videos later so it's just where do you want to put your effort it totally is and it was a very it's very different you know vibes to the day which is again i think at the end of the day the outcome is the same which is you've announced a bunch of stuff and now you have a bunch of content to learn about the <laughs> stuff i mean to be honest yeah. it's it's yeah. similar um i like that there's they also did have one-on-one labs you could sign up for so there was some interactive uh, labs, which I think was kind of cool. But uh, besides that, like, oh, that's it. You can see I, I, I learned something I didn't I didn't know about the labs. I, I mm-hmm. did see the lab tab box in the app, but I, I didn't even bother to look at it and see if it worked. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah, I mean, you can do like code reviews and you know deep dive and whatnot. And yeah, it's just all there. So right. if you're looking to go watch some stuff, you got plenty of time that is for sure that you can spend <laughs> so, on it. This is perfect. So now we can be the TV guide. We can be like, here are the here are the parts at least I find interesting. I'm curious to see which parts you find interesting out of all the announcements. So mm-hmm. we'll do our own summarized keynote now. And I guess I wonder where we should start. Which platforms do you think are uh, most important slash least important to you, James? Okay, let's just do what Apple did. Let's get the let's get the uh, footnotes out of the way. Let's start with TVOS. Um, right, um, and nothing. <laughs> let's move to WatchOS. Perfect. No, <laughs> TV, TVOS TVOS fourteen uh, is happening. There's some new SDKs. Nothing revolutionary. It's getting some of the features that iOS and iPadOS are getting, like search and picture and picture, which is cool. Um, and 4K HDR AirPlay. Which yes. I can't believe they can put that many bits over, but good job, Apple. It's a lot of bits. A lot of bits. It's over a lot. That. It's a lot of bits. I don't even have any 4K content, so... Um. Sure. Yeah, I, I guess video games can do it. So if you use like modern renderers, you can generate 4K, not like movies, mm. but, you know, computer graphics. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. Apple TV. Done. done. <laughs> watch OS. Watch. Watch OS. Watch, mm-hmm. watch OS. Um, I really don't remember anything here other than um, uh, complications have gotten a little more sophisticated where you can use Swift UI to create complications now, I mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that the that, big announcement? Was that it? <laughs> that uh, So there's a few big announcements. Biggest one is uh, Clock Kit lets you do all of the multiple complications uh, and 
you can because before your app could only show like one complication at a time or something like that and like watch we still faces can't make different. watch faces I, I just have to say we still can't make watch faces so not yet just like give them a few more years give them a few more i'm years. just gonna keep rolling my eyes until we can make watch faces <laughs> uh and and that's pretty much it you're right swift ui um now there is a new fully swift ui fully embraces watch os development sort of end to end uh that is the the big two things that i can see and that that is from a dev point but not from a feature point so like you got to distinguish developer point from Mm -hmm. this is now built in right into the watch so that's the difference So a built-in feature now, it can tell you if you're dancing well. I believe it's the cha-cha. Uh, what else did he say? Um, but it's going to grade you on your dancing, how much fun you're having, if you have a smile on your face, if your arms are in the right position, I hope. Mm-hmm. I, I'm making fun, but I, I, I like to see this um, full sensor integration. Apple, if there was a theme this year, they're really pushing their AI and mm-hmm. AI on device machine learning. And they've really done a lot of sensor fusion to get to the point where they can detect dances and other polyrhythm stuff, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Which I find funny because I used to work on like a little Kung Fu app that would tell you if you're doing your Kung Fu forms right. Mm. And even with some very basic AI, it was working really well. So I have to imagine that the software is really decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have... um. They have not only the dance stuff, but they also have hand washing recognition, right. which I think is cool. Yeah. Uh, Why not? I, uh, I, I hate my watch telling me to breathe, my watch telling me to stand up, and now it's going to make fun of me for not washing my hands well. Mm-hmm. It's basically a guilt device. I'm strapping a, a guilt device to my wrist. Yeah. They did a bunch of other stuff, right? They have bike routes on it, which is cool. They have the hands wash stuff that I said. Um, they have some Siri updates that are going on there. There's, t- I mean, there's a lot of fitness stuff. I think the biggest Sherlocking is the sleep app. Sorry. Oh, um, right. Yeah, this is a pretty big market. Uh, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of apps out there. Industry leaders swap from time to time. It's a fashionable market. Um, there's a lot of theories on which is the best way to track and apple has entered that market Hmm. pretty gutsy but we could see this coming because they've been doing like those night modes and weird things like that with you know changing the color grade of your video and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so they're definitely into sleep in a way that i'm not into are you into sleep tracking and all that nope i don't track anything don't care nope i i sleep when i'm tired try to stay awake when i'm not (laughs) generally my goals (laughs) yeah i think they have a good idea which is like wind down wake up and if you have a hard time sleeping or a hard time waking up i'm sure there's things that the watch can do to really help so i think that's cool and if you're into it it's built in isn't isn't it like someone telling you don't think of a pink elephant like hey time for you to start sleeping now it's like i just i can't be commanded to sleep (laughs) (laughs) wow just don't get it (laughs) i i honestly think the biggest thing for developers is the complications but surprisingly more than that the thing with complications is that if you're building watch stuff or app stuff, you want to have complications because there's this new sharing of watch faces. I think this is the coolest part. It's almost like WeChat um, with like their app platform. You can like share an app via a link or by scanning something. So now you can say, hey, this is my watch face. Like imagine you and I are going to go kayaking and you've created the ultimate kayaking watch okay. face. And you can say, hey, James, like, check this out. And you can text it to me, email, or just post a link online. And boom, I get that 
watch face with all the complications set on my watch. And that's kind of cool. Okay, I dig that. Uh, I totally missed that in the keynote. A little bit of context here. I was mopping the floor and watching the keynote on an iPhone precariously balanced on a windowsill. Oh, geez. So <laughs> there might be small blank spots in my knowledge here. And that is a really cool feature. Um, you're kind of making me wonder why it hasn't always been there. It seems so obvious in retrospect, but that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's the big one. That's, that's the, watch. the big one. That's the I'd- watch. Yeah, I, I think the watch got its biggest upgrade um, what a year or two ago when uh, watch apps became independent. So it's just growth of the platform at that mm. point, I guess. Let's move on to iOS, my buddy, iOS, my career, the thing that I make my money's on. <laughs> and surprisingly, not the last thing we're talking about. We want to point that out. If we're going order of what we deem to be the most important, there's other stuff beyond this. <laughs> Do you think so? Well, yes. it doesn't get much more important than widgets on the home screen, no. James. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so that's a user feature you don't care about. As an uh, Android user, aren't you excited? As an Android user, I've had these forever. No, um, <laughs> here's the here's what I call what they did with iOS, because there's a lot of people online that'll say, well, Windows Phone had this feature or Android had this feature for a long time. And Apple always says, oh, we reinvented everything. Well, it's you know, it's the most amazing thing ever. It's like, well, it's, it's okay. It may not be the first time that you've seen a widget on a home screen, right? But it's how they introduce it, that it's new and revolutionary to iOS. It's not that it's revolutionary to the world, but it's revolutionary to iOS. And of course, it's super thoughtful. I mean, mm-hmm. how you construct the UI with um, with Swift UI. And the um, archiving, or however you do it, even without SwiftUI, with archiving that they they put in, so snapshotting, so like the developers just kind of normally do their thing, and it just kind of works. Uh, the resizing the new sort of app library, which is very Androidy, putting that together. I think the uh, being able to stack widgets, sort of a lot of things automatically happen. Where on Android, we've had widgets, but the widget framework to build them hasn't been updated in six years. Uh, <laughs> most developers, I think, just forget to do them. You know, I, I do have a, a, a widget on my home screen. It's the time, and it has all the different time zones of all of my teammates, wherever they're at in the world, so I can keep up to date with them. And that's it. And everything else I've taken off because it's just kind of clutter. Uh And here, it seems as though Apple is going to be prescriptive, which is here is how you sort of build and what widgets should look like. And here's how they resize. So you get these three sizes and you don't get to be, you know, different craziness, you know. Uh, And I think that the widgets are nice because it feels as though it is the correction of the what's the things, Uh, the today widgets on the left hand side when you swipe over that have to update all slowly. Like that feels like a V1. This feels like the progression of we fixed that thing that was slow that you didn't like to use at all and wasn't very um, discoverable. Yeah. Once you hide a user interface behind a second screen or 
yeah, just a second screen for me. I never come off of the home screen. It's gone because I think one way you do is you can pull down from the top and swipe over to it. But if you pull down from the top, you want your notifications. That's mm-hmm. what that means. Like that mm-hmm. everyone knows what that means. So uh, one thing that they did was redesign all the existing widgets because these were there in the t- today area, like you were saying. They're just now on uh, the proper home screen. And so they had to redesign them and give them a fair amount of treatment i would say they're pretty heavily designed um so i think that's apple saying you better make yours look good <laughs> i yeah. think they just wanted to make sure that theirs kind of look the best and they're very modern they're very easy to read very nicely done um still in the kind of ios 7 but we're growing out of it we're adding more drop shadows these days more gradients and places so as an app developer um i love it because i love being able to put my app up there uh i do have some hesitations one is yeah you'd better make these things look good two is uh they're read only so i don't even like calling them widgets because forever widgets meant user interactive things mm. these are not interactive if you tap on it it's taking you to the app yeah um there so i can't put like a little kelka there you know with tiny little buttons even though i desperately want to i can't (laughs) um yeah i wonder if you can do i wonder if you know where they tapped on it so you could at least go to different parts of the app either way yeah yeah that is the that is probably the bigger conundrum is that with android widgets i don't think you could make it you can make it interactive, but not overly interactive. So you could add buttons and do stuff to it. But I don't know if you could, you know, like put a plus button text and box. then add a text yeah. box. I don't know if you could. I have to maybe boot some up. Yeah. But, but you know, that's the one thing is that you actually had buttons and you could say the user clicked on new Calca thing and then it could go into the app and go to a specific point. Um, which would be kind of nice. If I look at my widgets, what do I have? I have clock, Chrome. I guess I have a search button. Contacts. That's probably one of my favorites because you can just pin a contact. Uh, Let's see if I put Gmail over here, right? So I'm going to put Gmail. This is on Android. And I'm going to choose my account. Say I'm in my primary. And then, yeah, if I just hit the, the compose button, it goes in and it composes a new message. So it does exactly what I want. But I can also scroll. Like I can scroll through all of my mm-hmm. inbox. And load more. I can say view more, and then oh, I guess it just opens the app. But you know, it, 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 but I can also say show me my primary folder, show me my junk mail, show me whatever. Right. So it's very customizable. Where these are, while they're a reinvention of the today widget, they are still kind of a here's a V1, and they all look really pretty, but they don't. They're not smart. They're not smart widgets. They do update those, as far mm-hmm. as I understand, pretty regularly. And as far as I can tell, uh, this is a slight unification between the iOS world and uh, the watch world, where if you did a complication on the watch, you don't just ever do one complication. You actually give it a timeline mm. and say how that complication changes over time. And I believe that you do the same thing with uh, these widgets. You give it a timeline, not just exactly one image, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I believe that's how it works, too. That's how they were describing it, which I think is really cool compared to Android, which I believe is like running code and like getting update requests and things like that. So it's a little bit more. Got to keep that battery going. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep it going. This thing alive. Yeah, uh, there was a weird feature introduced, James, and I feel like 
these have an impact to app developers, but at the same time, I have no idea how to use them. A feature called App Clips. And the idea seems to be here that with a mere QR code, or uh, what are those near-field devices called? NFC. Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks. Near-field <laughs> communication <laughs> devices. Don't mock how my brain what is works. That? What's that near-field <laughs> communication thing called? What is that thing called? I'm really not good at acronyms. Okay, uh, NFC, and with an even crazier Apple code thing, you can launch mini apps that are like automatically downloaded from the app store crazy times james what well, is not, this thing they're not mini apps they're part of your app they're a slice if you will of your application uh and this is a feature that is similar to android instant apps and the concept of android instant app was hey i'm on a website and or you know, I'm on Google and I see a link for Yelp. And instead of installing the Yelp app, it installs the instant app where I get part of the application and I can kind of do some stuff and try to download the app later. And the goal of instant app was like, hey, this application is just a few megs. So you can download over, you know, LTE or 3G and not have to really be concerned about downloading a 100 meg app right now. And app clips, that's the same concept, right? And again, this is, I always call it every year, like iOS is becoming more like Android and Android is becoming more like iOS and like they all do it a little bit different. And with instant apps, Google kind of put it out there and like they did it for like one or two of their apps and then they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, okay. we'll see but what it, happens. <laughs> but imagine here's the, here's the perfect scenario for either of these is you walk into an Apple store and you want to buy something, right? You just want to buy something. Uh, Today, you'd probably have to go talk to somebody. Heaven forbid, that'd be terrible. Or <laughs> you would install the Apple Store app. What if you didn't have to? What if you could scan a QR code and you get the instant app, which is only three megs, loads near instantaneous. You log in with your Apple ID, you log in and pay with Apple Pay, and you're in and out of the store in 30 seconds instead of having to wait while you're inside of a mall. I mean, none of this is, you can't go anywhere right now, so it doesn't matter. But it can, you know, conceptually, you have this little pop-up and it could be even where you geocode something where like you're, they show it where you're like next to a scooter, but you, there's like a, a NFC code or something like that. That's like, Hey, here it is. And it sort of pops up this little banner that says, yeah, open the app, right. To unlock the scooter. You don't need to download the app. You can just unlock it right here. And, uh, you know, you have 10 megs of size, so very small. I don't know if that's going to work in a Xamarin app or not, or <laughs> how that 10 megs is calculated, you know what I mean? Uh, but mm -hmm. I like that it's not just like, I don't actually have any idea how Android instant apps really were going to work where with yeah. app clips, Apple did something, which is they said, you can scan a QR code. There could be a banner in Safari. You can have links and messages. You can have uh, in your Apple maps, you can have a, on any business can have one. And also those NFC chips, you can literally, if you're a business and you have an app, you can create this thing or, you know, whatever you walk into a target, boom, you, you can do whatever. It's a coupon app. It's a, whatever you could have all sorts of different kind of crazy app clips, right? Imagine target, instead of building tons of junk into their app, they just have a bunch of app clips that are short lived that get deleted off of your app, uh, off your device after some time. And, and that's what it is. Yeah. I like this 
I'm still trying to think of how I'm personally going to take advantage of it as an app developer. But as an Apple user, I know I'm going to like it because they're really pushing uh, sign-in with Apple mm-hmm. and Apple Pay if you actually want to do any kind of money type stuff with these little app clips. I don't know if it's 100% required, but they're definitely pushing it. And as someone who lives in a city full of weird devices laying around on the street that I can ostensibly pick up and use. I have the hardest time with the apps, like specifically the Uber app. They have just messed up my account to oblivion Mm -hmm. to whether I just can't sign in. Like there's no way I can use any Uber product at this point. And so it'd be wonderful if they actually adopt this and I could do like sign in with Apple and actually use that stuff. I, you know, for the kind of apps I write, I don't know how I'm going to use this, but I can see this. I I wish I lived in a world where all of this worked, where if I was at some random little restaurant, I could get their menu app without Mm. going to their website, without downloading their really big app, just like Mm. a temporary download of their app. I like that idea that it's just kind of a temporary download on demand. Yep. Very nice. And just just to your point about the megabytes, um, I think like a Hello World Xamarin app is like four or five megabytes right now. So we should be fine. Um, it's just going to be if you start adding a lot of big images and things mm. like that, obviously. Yeah, that's what I wasn't really sure about and how it's going to work and again, how it's calculated and whatnot. But uh, I don't actually know even how they're going to be, you know, com- you know, incorporated like are they a separate app type of thing like i don't know what how it's gonna is it an extension i was assuming it was going to be an extension but probably it it probably is no actually i take that back it probably is a whole different ipa Hmm. um just for the distribution model you know it's still probably going through the app store to some degree yeah yeah and that that would be fascinating and i kind of want to understand exactly how that is going to work i guess we could just install xcode 12 and give give it a try um it says it says app clip is a small part of your app it's developed in the same xcode project as your full app and because it's a small because it's small okay app clip can, that's what it says so i guess it's this not might an just extension. be a app store trick they're able to pull it off I yeah guess. so maybe magic the yeah. magic of app distribution it's kind of interesting because it's almost a competitor to the web it's trying to give you that very quick experience where even websites these days can be 10 megabytes. So the 10 megabytes is nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the ephemeralness, the temporariness. Quite interesting. I kind of hope people do adopt them. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. I, and by the way, I'm not actually part of it's part of your app because I'm looking at the creating an app clip and it says, add an app clip target. App clips require a corresponding app yeah. that offers at least the same functionality as the app clip. And you typically yeah. use Xcode. So I think it's like an extension. That's what I that's what Yeah, I feel. it's it's added to your project, uh, but it's it, a whole different IPA for something. There it is. The yeah. parent application identifier entitlement. So that's basically exactly how it's done for, for extensions. So very similar, but fascinating that they say, you know, your main app has to have this type of functionality um, in there. And I love that they also have conditional compilation, though. So you can share code and you can do if bang uh, app clip. To say if it's not an app oh, clip great. or it is an app clip, that's cool. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> it'd be fascinating. You know, I think that this will be something that, again, it's going to be more niche. It's not going to be something that every developer, every app needs to do. It's going to be very consumer-focused Yeah. in general. I couldn't see any of my applications doing this uh, or having any need for it. But as a consumer, I think it could be pretty 
pretty cool. Just like I thought instant apps, but I think the difference between Android instant apps and this is that Apple is coming out and if they push it into all of their applications heavily, then more developers, more users are going to use it and know about it and more developers will then be inclined to do it. And that is what it will take because if nobody builds it and no new businesses come online, then no one's going to do it, you know? Yeah. If it's just Yelp, it won't take off. It's going to be more than Yelp. It's got to be a bunch. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Well, well, there's a bunch of other features, right? There's a new search. That's cool. You don't want to know my favorite feature. I'm going to tell you my favorite feature. I don't even, I don't own this product at all. And I probably <laughs> won't new favorite feature. My fit. Here's my pick of WWDC. My pick. Wow. I, I'm so excited for this because it's not going to be anything I expected. I thought we were done with the iOS. <laughs> nope. Here's my pick. AirPods spatial audio. That's my pick. Oh, WWDC. dang. That thing is cool, dude. Okay. We have no idea if it's going to work, but they're promising a lot here. And the idea is it's not only going to track your head position, but the position of the phone mm-hmm. so that someone on the left-hand side of the phone will be in your left ear and then you could move it around your head and make yourself in the matrix or something i don't know it's cool i love signal processing i love anything that interacts with the real world so by definition i love your pick but i'm really curious to see if it works or whether (laughs) it's gonna be annoying because they mentioned like when you're if you're sitting on in an airplane and the airplane banks it's gonna move the audio it's like well i don't want that i'm trying to watch a movie here Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm fascinated. I don't own AirPod Pros, and it obviously won't work with Android. So none of this really <laughs> matters to me at all. I don't own them either. I don't own them. I guess I'm gonna have to. No, I don't know. Is it gonna be worth buying them? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's my. It's your conundrum. top pick, and you don't know whether I should buy them. And if I'll ever be able to own them or play them at all. But I mean, a uh, bunch of other cool stuff. Okay, let me knock out a few things. Uh, recording indicator. That's cool. You can see if there's a camera or microphone working. Um, new oh, privacy. Good information that'll be scary for developers to figure out another favorite feature approximate location this is available on windows for a long time but you can say i'm in and around seattle weather application you don't need to know where my address is um upgrade to sign in with apple can't wait to do that that's really cool um better <laughs> give them the 30 <laughs> percent. yeah give them the 30 percent. yeah basically um you know more carplay stuff that's cool uh what else can you do more the, the the user privacy i don't want to go over that too uh, fast other than to say um this has been a big change anyone who's been submitting apps you have to have a privacy policy with your apps now i guess there's going to be a more detailed kind of checklist i'm assuming kind of interface that we're all going to have to do now when yeah. submitting apps so that's definitely going to affect all of us but hopefully it won't be a hard <laughs> checklist a hard quiz i do like this this is very 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 good and i appreciate it um and you know It'll be like one more thing I got to do, but yeah. Um, yeah. What else is in there? <laughs> it, it's a good, uh, th- that's, that's it. Cause we can talk about iPad OS and, and make the transition mm. over. I don't actually like distinguishing between the two cause it's all the same code, but yeah. Um, I mean, they, they did make some changes and I think some of them are backporting cause they did picture in picture, which was on iPad OS first. Mm-hmm. And that's being added to the iPhone, which is really nice. Like Siri is being squished off to the, uh, top also. So a lot of these full screen UIs are being made, not full screen anymore, which I think is just good for usability. Mm-hmm. No one wants modal interfaces. They're really going in on the big theme 
that I noticed on iPad and desktop is they're going all in on the flyout navigation. Like they're like, it's all about having the flyout always open all the time. Like, so it's not a flyout. It's just always open all the time. And they, they call it a, uh, sidebar. sidebar 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 james not fly out we don't know not a hamburger menu in sight nope. but we do have fly out menus everywhere mm-hmm. i'm curious to see because like i started watching the state of the union and they're like if you're using ui split view you're fine i'm like is that it then is yep, what's, it. what's the difference okay well they did show a three pane view mm-hmm. normally with ui split view uh you get a two pane view two pane view um yeah, sorry. Now I'm just getting recollections of the Microsoft uh, uh, dual screen devices. Mm-hmm. Two pane view. Yeah. <laughs> Two pane view. Two pane view. Uh, so they're 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 promoting uh, multiple windows, which we actually got in the previous version. But I don't know a single developer that's implemented it yet. I still haven't put it into my apps, just because it's a pretty major change to your app. But the cool thing is. Um, They've improved basically uh, drag and drop and yeah, just just that UI. Anyone who's done side-by-side apps in iPad knows that it can go nowhere but improve. So I I can't wait to see the improvements that they put here. Yeah, I feel like that's that's what I notice a lot of. They're like, you know, we want that navigation. There's a lot of applications that are doing like files or photos. I think this would be good for iCircuit, obviously. There's locations and there's more standardization of what they want it to look like. You said drag and drop. Um, yeah, I think they're just sort of refining it. Uh, they have refined the text entry field that can now take in text automatically from uh, apple pencil that seems cool like no developer oh, yeah. work that's nice i have to pause here because someone's got to say you know microsoft had that eight billion years ago and they did microsoft was always the leader when it came to scribbling junk so it's actually just nice to see apple catch up because mm-hmm. we've all been waiting for them to add scribble support so this is really good yeah the the scribble support and the selection support looks great like i said i don't know if that's all new they added that feature i think you developed shape recognition yeah i feel bad because i've written so many face a uh, face <laughs> shape recognition apps and i've never released one mm. so like I waited so long that Apple just baked it into the OS. Yeah. And I just feel terrible about that. Uh, A lot of this comes with Pencil Kit, which is their kind of general drawing API that you can add to an app. So say you have an app that you want to allow people to take annotations or scribble on something. It's Mm -hmm. really easy to do that. I haven't integrated that into any of my apps either. I feel like I'm really falling behind on all these fancy features of the operating system. But some of these are kind of niche. Like you only really need one note-taking app. You don't yeah. need twenty note-taking apps. Yeah, it's cool that it exists. And those are like kind of dropping controls. But um, yeah. Oh, but speaking of dropping controls, you know what we did finally get in iOS, and this is a very long time coming. God, I have written so many of these. We finally have a color picker control. Oh, I saw that. So I love it. Amazing. <laughs> so good. Finally. Oh, my God. I can't believe we've made it 13, 14 versions before getting a color picker. Oh, God. I am so tired of writing that control. I am I because, yeah, this will be nice because you'll actually be able to save colors between um, apps. I think there's system-wide colors that you can save to a palette. And as a color freak, I love that. Great. <laughs> the question I had was, is that color picker only part of Apple kit? 
or as far as I could tell, Apple Pen Kit or whatever. Yeah, I, I I think they were a tiny bit misleading. As far as I could tell, it's available everywhere. Okay. And it's just featured in oh. Pencil Kit or whatever. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's the way I took it, Whew. at least. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> it's really important. Sure. Um, uh, there were some really cool um, iPad things. Just as a robotics nerd, hmm? uh, they put the Connect on the back of the iPad. Oh, yeah. And it can like scan the room and give you a depth field of the room there's actually been a trick you've been able to do with the iphone for a little while now ever since we got two cameras you could do um a really poor quality stereoscopic vision where it would try to create a depth map of the room so you could tell one object was nearer or farther than another object the problem was it's not calibrated you can't say is it three meters away or two meters away you don't know it's in a weird optical space but with a proper i don't know is it lidar whatever the the LiDAR. actual scanner. Is it mm-hmm. LiDAR? Jeez, mm-hmm. that's so cool. Um, I have to go buy one of these. Uh, you can actually get a 3D scan of the room, and there are APIs to access that depth map nicely now, which is the future, dude. Like, I just want to build a robot around this iPad. Buy this iPad and build them some legs and some wheels and, you know, let them explore the world. Go off, mm-hmm. iPad. <laughs> yeah, I think that that one's the coolest. So that's part of AR Kit 4, which is the depth API and the LiDAR scanner. Uh, it's super cool. They had a great demo for it. Again, this is something that may not be in every single application, but very cool that uh, it exists and that, I mean, these machines are crazy. It is kind of yeah. bananas. That's just like the technologist nerd in me. It's just like, yeah, I want to 3D scan the room. I have no use for that 3D scan, but maybe I'll 3D print my room. And then that would be weird. Maybe I won't. (laughs) So that's the iPhone, the iPad. Do you want to talk about some risky things that they decided to announce? I like what you did there. You're like a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you talking about uh, Apple Silicon system? Yeah, I'm talking about that. SOC, that risk architecture, that ARM SOC, the silicon. We're not calling it ARM. Stop trying to make ARM happen. It's ARM. (laughs) It's an ARM processor. It's literally the iPad processor (laughs) in a slightly different configuration. (laughs) They actually called it the A12Z, and I believe the A12X is in the iPad. Uh, Something along those lines. But yeah, this is a pretty big deal. When I very first got into writing Apple stuff, they were just making the switch from PowerPC to Intel. Mm. So when I first professionally got into Apple, um, I was a part of that transition because the first Apple computer I bought was a PowerPC and I later sold it for a lot less money. (laughs) But um, I always was amazed at how well they pulled off an architecture change. And the big news here, if you didn't catch the keynote, is there's an architecture change coming up for Macintosh computers. None of the iOS stuff, but the Macintosh. How crazy times do we live in, James? It is. Uh, and I, I mean, they kind of didn't do this that long ago. They, they, they didn't form a processor change, but they did force a 64-bit change, if yeah. you remember. Yeah, and they did it a lot more aggressively than Microsoft. Microsoft, sorry to always play compare contrast. It's just how I work. <laughs> um, but it's just different ways to do it. Microsoft has kept 32-bit compatibility for a long time now uh, to the point where I think Visual Studio is still a 32-bit app for lots of engineering reasons. 
Uh, but Apple was pretty aggressive in saying, nah, nah, we're not accepting 32-bit apps to the store anymore. That processor is dead. We're mm-hmm. not even talking about it anymore. So just different approaches, and we can kind of see why. They were trying to narrow the field for what they're going to have to support on this new processor. But Frank, if this is a whole different architecture and my application is compiled for x64, how is my application going to run on an ARM processor? Oh my God, just pure magic at this point. I believe it's Egyptian magic in in this case. Um, This is crazy, man. Rosetta 2. So Rosetta is, and I might get this wrong because I don't know my Apple history. Was Rosetta to run PowerPC apps on Intel, or was it to run 68,000 apps on PowerPC? I don't know. One or the other. Either way, a crazy feat of software engineering that is going to convert a 64-bit Intel uh, executable into a 64-bit ARM executable, which, you know, is theoretically possible. (laughs) But I wouldn't want to write that code. Do you know how big the Intel instruction set is? It's ridiculous. Like AVX 512, AVX 256, whatever they're up to. It's a huge instruction set. I hope whoever did this work gets a two-year vacation. (laughs) No, they they did also. Like they, you know, this is a little bit uh, different. We haven't even talked about what this enables. But, you know, they have, for all intents, you know, ported over all the frameworks and a majority of even third-party frameworks from x86 to the Apple Silicon architecture, the ARM architecture. And um, that's a big chunk of this too. So someone did that. But then Rosetta says, hey, like Rosetta 2 literally says, hey, you haven't even changed your application and we're just going to make it work. And now I will also say that like this has been done before an emulation software, uh, uh, like the, the Microsoft has ARM machines, the Surface X, you know, that came out that was running an ARM processor and had a virtualization that would run x86 in an ARM mode and things like that. Now, Apple is saying that it's going to be, I think, at install time, and it's going to be near one-to-one performance. I need to get my hands on a machine and actually test (laughs) that. Um, That's a a bold promise, my friend. Uh, But you you don't know. I don't know. It is. I mean, just from a computer science standpoint, 64-bit processors can be slower just because there's more memory moving around. Mm -hmm. It's just more stuff to do. So two processors at the same rate, you make it 64-bit, the more pointer work it does, the slower it gets. That simple. But they're hoping for efficiency gains in other places than just uh, in pure clock speed and things like that. Uh, so real quick, as far as I remember, the Microsoft thing was only able to do 32-bit Intel on ARM at speed, whereas this is doing 64-bit apps at speed. That is Again, correct. it's just crazy. That is correct. You are um, correct there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's funny because they use the term um, ahead of time. It's AOT. <laughs> so just like we've been doing with Xamarin all these, all these years, uh, they're AOT, your Intel. So now Intel is the new intermediate language, I guess, (laughs) which is the absolute worst intermediate language. If I haven't made it clear, it's a train wreck of an instruction set. You don't. Oh, gosh. I just feel so bad for that team. I hope they paid them in vodka martinis. I'm sure they're doing okay. I'm sure they're doing just fine. Uh, No, I mean, I think this is a a huge, a huge deal. 
because, you know, Apple has always wanted to control the supply chain end to end, and they've done a a great job of that on the um, iPhone uh, specifically. You know, they've pushed that over more end to end of them controlling it. And this is finally them sort of going back on, on the Mac and wanting to control it end to end. And they've made such gains and strides on the mobile and iPad processors that they want to leverage that over. Will it be amazing this fall when they say it's going to release? I don't know, but will it continuously get better for sure? And they even said they're going to continue to ship, you know, um, IBM or IBM Intel based processor max for some time. And obviously they just came out with the Mac pro and a bunch of other stuff. So it'd be fascinating to see where they introduce this. Like, are they going to introduce it in higher end machines or lower end machines first? And what will the limitations be? Cause their goal is that everything will just work. Uh, and you know, cutting out the X 60 X86 and going with X 64 gives them one route to say, Hey, we, we only have to support one, not two of this. Uh, but it seems like they were there. They showed off unity. They showed off Photoshop. They showed off Microsoft office. So everything just sort of kind of worked. But the biggest part of this, by the way, is the evolution of catalyst, but it's yeah. not even an evolution. It's something <laughs> that it's something that like, if you don't do catalyst, Apple's just going to do catalyst for you anyways. <laughs> That's what this <laughs> is, but they would really like you to do catalyst, which is with this transition into Apple Silicon, every single iOS application and iPad OS application will just work on the Mac. Right. Which is just bonkers. It makes perfect sense if you say, yeah, it's the iPad processor, of course. But of course is actually 10 years of engineering effort and all that stuff to make something like that happen. That really is mind blowing. Like in an ideal world, we would all just trash our x86 Max right now Mm -hmm. and get these ARM ones so we can all just be rocking iOS apps. And I, I think that that is a huge takeaway from both the iOS and Mac is that they really are merging or Apple's mm. trying to get them to merge. Yep. I mean, you can just guess that like there is a touchscreen uh, computer coming like any day, <laughs> whenever they can get it, the stupid thing finished. I'm sure they want to get it out. And you can just from the visuals, like the toolbar on the Mac, uh, an S toolbar is no longer this gray gradient thing. It's this flat white color that looks like an iPad toolbar. Mm-hmm. You don't have um, borders around buttons. Uh, you, they look like iPad buttons. Go figure. So I'm. there are definitely parts of the Mac community that are going to feel a little betrayed that the UI is going so heavily in the iOS 7 direct- direction. But it's just the biggest obvious clue Apple can say to devs is prioritize this kind of user interface. This is the future. Ideally for us, start with an iPad app. Uh, use UIKit. In a lot of ways, this is writing on the wall for AppKit. I'm sure AppKit's going to be around forever, but Apple's definitely pushing everyone in the direction of either write your application targeting iPad OS and UIKit, therefore it'll run on all of our platforms, or use this new thing, Swift UI, that we're going to also try to get that to run on all platforms. Either way, <laughs> we're unifying the user interface here, uh, catch up quickly. That is correct. Yeah. And, and, and when you look at it, they're now moving more and more applications over to either use this or project catalyst. And in fact, you heavily 
saw them push Project Catalyst because yeah. with Catalyst, you get a bunch of other toolbars and they made it a point. They ran Monument Valley, the game. And they said it looks it looks great. The mouse clicks look great as emulate touch. You do get bars up top, right? And and the the menu bars, they're all empty basically, mm-hmm. and they're all disabled yeah. because you haven't done anything there because it's not a catalyst yeah. app. But here's what real catalyst apps look like. And you can tie in deeply into the the bars, into the flyouts and everything like that. And that's what they want to push. And you'll get other stuff with it too. I think you're gonna get all of those widgets and all those other things will just come along for the ride, ideally. Um, color and, picker. Yeah, and color picker. You get the color picker. And to be honest, uh, it's one less app icon. I pro- Hopefully they simplify the yeah, app no icon. Kidding. Just boom, done. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, they were courageous enough to do the messages app, mm-hmm. which I think is something as a user we've all been requesting because... Oh, yeah there was just a dissimilarity between the Mac version and the iOS version. And as someone who maintains apps on multiple platforms, I get it. I totally Mm -hmm. get it, Apple. I know why it happens. It's exactly the reason why I want all my apps to be Catalyst apps, because as much as I love the Mac, um, customizing a user interface to a mode of operation is so much easier than maintaining two different versions of an app. All the all the Xamarin Forms people know this. They know this. <laughs> it's why Xamarin Forms is so popular. Well, the same thing is trying to happen over in the uh, iOS world with Catalyst. And in 10 years from now, every Mac computer will be running iOS apps. But before that 10 years happens, we're, we need to start using Catalyst. Something that you brought up earlier that I found interesting was, and a big uh, question that I have is, what will the first uh, Apple Silicon computer be? My guess is an Air, a touchscreen Air, something like that's basically an iPad with a keyboard that's running macOS instead of iOS. But actually, I'll stop there, but then I have another prediction. Do, do you have anything to say about that? I, I don't think they're going to do a touchscreen this year. I don't think it'll be a touchscreen. I think next year. Not yet? Next year. Okay. Next year or we two We got to consolidate more? Okay. You, you know, what, what I think what they want to do is they want, they're going to need to, it's a two year transition too over to this. So I think by that point, they'll introduce, you know, some new touchscreen APIs, give, you know, developers on a Mac time to move that stuff over, but then also give it some time to optimize it. And I know that it's just, you know, there's already a touchscreen stuff and it should just map, but there's probably some work that they need, need to do in some of the controls and, and other things for it to work. So I'm not positive, but I do think it'll be a, a, either an Air or a MacBook. I think an Air. I think an Air makes sense. On the low end, on the cheaper end, hopefully. Yeah. Like, I don't That's see what it. I'm hoping. I don't see it. Mac Mini doesn't really make any sense for it to, to go in there at all. But I f- feel like, like that could be like the developer machine that they do first. But mm-hmm. like they just bumped it. I don't see it in an iMac or an iMac Pro. I feel like the MacBook Air is probably the right place so they can really get down that price. And I mean, the MacBook Air is already starting at what eight ninety nine. Is that what I said right yeah, here? Nine ninety nine, right? Nine ninety nine. Okay. Imagine they, you know, right now here's the, here's why I think that's important is that nine ninety nine is a one point one gigahertz dual core i three processor, like. Yeah this thing that they control and they own is probably going to blow it out of the water. Yeah, that's a very fair point because they kept 
saying how power efficient mm-hmm. and scalable. They kept saying the word scalar architecture, scalar architecture. In other words, we can put as many cores on here as we darned well please. And it's probably going to be four to start with because that's what the iPad is, you know, kind of a minimum. It'll probably be six or something. But that's where I actually get excited for the high end of this thing, because you see things that AMD are doing with their uh, Threadripper CPUs, Mm -hmm. where people are getting these 64 core CPUs. And I mean, they're as hot as a sauna, but (laughs) with a more efficient chip design, um, I could see 64 little ARM cores powering a very nice supercomputer on someone's desktop. So within, you know, five to 10 years, I think that'll be really exciting. Yeah. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of other, like, you know, operating systems that have done this, you know, and try to go cross platform. I think Apple, they, they, they took a lot of time, right. And they have the ecosystem of apps and they're just saying, Hey, we can magically go here and do this thing. So I think they get pretty lucky in that point and then help people migrate later. It's always easier to go from a small screen to a big screen and not vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the challenge. Um, I think that's, you know, if you look at like windows phone and windows desktop, you'd you'd have to build them in unison. Whereas if you had windows phone for a long, long time, you're like, Hey, we're going to bring all the windows phone apps over, right? It would have been the same thing. You don't see Apple doing, Hey, we're going to bring all of the Mac applications to the iPhone. They did not say that (laughs) during this, by the way, even though technically it probably could, I don't know. I'm just saying, um, it just depends. Uh, yeah, I don't think they have AppKit running on iPad. I've, uh, some people have guessed that they do because they p- people want them to have Xcode on mm, the iPad. Yeah. And to make that happen, you have to put AppKit on there. No one's going to port Xcode to UIKit. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So there, there's always a question of deep in Apple's secret AR labs. <laughs> do they have AppKit running <laughs> on the I bet they do. I bet they do. And this is, you okay. know, fundamentally, right? This is called Big Sur. S-U-R. I don't know. That's somewhere in the yeah, world. Yeah, we forgot to mention its name. What do you think of that name? Big Sur. I don't you know, like when it. I heard it. When I heard it when mopping, I wasn't sure about the spelling. Like, I guess like Big Sur. Is that like some weird? I don't know. I wasn't sure if it was S-I-R, but it's Sir. It's. I wonder what the etymology of the name is. I don't know the word Sir. Big Sur is a rugged and mountainous section of central coast of, of California. But more importantly, it's Mac OS 11. Oh my God, I am going to have to audit every line of every co- every app I've ever released, James, because I don't know about you, but I version check all the time. Mm-hmm. My apps are old enough that I have to version check. And worse, on Mac, version checking wasn't really supported in a good way until Mac 11.10. And my apps support 11.9 or 10.9. Sorry. <laughs> See, I've forgotten already. 10.9, 10.10, and now we're up to version 11. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you're going to have to audit your version checking code. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that all just works out and is nice. But uh, yeah, right. I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's I, not going to happen. <laughs> I'll tell you this much. You know who will be able to test out their applications pretty soon? Oh, are you about to gloat? That was James introducing his own gloating. I don't know, James. Who will be able to test their apps out soon? Well, technically, anybody can install the preview of Big Sur, but somebody can test their applications on Apple Silicon. This guy, who got a DTK? I did a developer Uh. transition kit. Boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. I, <sighs> Frank, paid $500 to lease <laughs> a piece of hardware for a short amount of time. That, <laughs> it's expensive. Like, can't you get a couch for that much at least? Like, for renting a couch for a few months? <laughs> it is expensive. I, you know, here's the problem is that I I remember when they did it with Apple TV. You could put you could pay like a dollar and then they yeah. would send you an Apple TV. And I was like, I got one, right? And, I got uh, one too. I love my $1 Apple TV. Great deal. And it's a developer kit. It's all this stuff, right? And then... Um, I'm trying to sell it to a friend for $2. 100% profit. <laughs> but we're not technically allowed to sell it. Technically not allowed to. And uh, for this, it was $500. And it's, it's a Mac Mini with Apple Silicon inside that that um, that the 12Z processor that you said. And I didn't think much about it. And I was late to the game to doing my entry. So I submitted it. And I woke up this morning and boom, an Apple from email that says, hey, we love you. Uh, we would love to take your $500. So I gave <laughs> it to them. And then you said, uh, don't forget to return that because they'll lock down your Apple developer account. I was like, what? Yeah. I got to return it. Um, and then I read the terms of agreement, which are publicly online. This is not NDA. Uh, is, yeah, you, you, you are borrowing it from them. And then um, you will return it to them after the program ends within a certain amount of time. I think it's 30 days. And uh, it doesn't say I'm getting my money back. So, <laughs> but I get to test two things. I get to test an actual Mac app, my stream timer, and ideally try to figure out how to run uh, uh, Island Tracker and some other yeah. iOS apps, which would be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm very jealous of you. you I applied be. for the same program. I have not gotten the email and I've been rigorously looking at my email all day and it still hasn't arrived. It's like watching a pot pot boil. <laughs> I almost said that right. Anyway, um, yeah, that's super cool. I wonder how hard it will be to get an iOS app on there because they were saying that that's all going to happen magically through the app store mm -hmm. when everything's released. But that's going to be some time we can guess from now. So I'm curious what you'll be able to do with that. But yeah. the really neat thing is you'll be able to create um universal apps and it's funny you know not universal windows apps these are universal apple apps and from one code base you should be able to write well the most important thing an apple tv app so obviously that's what you're going to target first Natch. and then Natch. right and then from there i guess you could run that on your mac your fancy mac that i don't have that i'm super jealous about See, I need it because I need to know whether my apps are going to be performant or not. But the truth is, um, I'm just going to recompile my apps for the new architecture. I don't plan on. Um, as much as I love that Rosetta technology that we were talking about earlier, that translation technology, I'm definitely recompiling all my apps for the new processor and just going to have to, I guess, assume that they run well. Yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's the, the part about it is, is I'm more interested in the iOS part because I don't know like when or how or, or if, you know, the Xamarin apps will get the catalyst support or, or not. So if that stuff just works great, like that could be fantastic. The Mac app, I assume, I know that there's a bunch of GitHub threads from the Xamarin team, like talking about supporting all the new stuff. So Again, it's quite a long time out, but yeah, I would just recompile my Mac application and I, they would, you know, just be done with it, which makes the most sense because I even did that with like Windows apps. When you create a Windows desktop app, you can compile it for ARM too, like a UWP yeah. app and you can do that. So there's definitely that magical just recompile and it'll work. And 
I think, I think here is if it's not same day support or there, you know, are people that are developers where you, maybe you can't even update your app yet, you know, and they're like, I'm trying your app and it doesn't <laughs> work. And you're like, okay, like, well, I don't have a DTK. So yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, as .NET developers, we're actually in a pretty lucky position because we distribute our apps for the most part as cross-platform and processor agnostic. Mm-hmm. We're not recompiling code or anything like that. We ship them as assemblies and the majority of them work. Now, there are those annoying libraries out there that do have native compiled code in them. And unfortunately, we'll have to wait for those to be refreshed. But my assumption is that this will go pretty smoothly for us. Um, usually with these architecture changes, it's literally just a compiler flag that they have to change. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like maybe AOT will lag behind, like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we'll get like normal support real quick, but it'll take a little while to get AOT going. Cause you know, AOT has always got its own special set of problems. Yeah. Um, but I assume that the Xamarin team at Microsoft has gone through uh, processor changes before on this platform. So mm. that stuff I think will not be bad. Still waiting for the awesome catalyst support. <laughs> they're pretty uh they're pretty snappy on the uh the updates. <laughs> so yeah. there's that. They, they they know how to abuse that compiler. <laughs> that compiler is one thing they got down. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm not too worried there. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say this though. Um I've never actually um I guess I've never actually compiled for AOT for the Mac. So my stuff is already just normal stuff. I think because I ran into some issues with some library I was using or something. So it's like, oh, it's a Mac. It doesn't matter, actually. So there <laughs> yeah. was that. Um, it's so but... wonderful having that. You know, I forget it constantly. I'm using like my iOS rules of what I'm allowed to do and not allowed to do on the Mac. And I'm like, what am I doing? I have a full mm. JIT here. I should be code generating in real time. You know, <laughs> the app should build itself with a neural network. You know, I have all the world's options there, but. No, I still write in a very constrained way. And I think most of us do as mobile developers. It's just how we write our apps. I think it'll be, uh, I think we're in an okay spot. I think we're going to survive this transition. I'm really curious to see what the um, non-programmer, what the public's perspective is going to be on this processor change. That's the one I'm actually a little more uh, concerned about. Because I think as devs, we can handle this. This isn't too big of a deal. Yeah. I think it should be just fine. I'm I'm pretty excited for it. And again, just to see how it goes, I guess, more than anything. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty exciting set of announcements, I would say. I was pretty pleased overall, I would say. What do you think? I'm pleased in that I don't think I technically have to do anything this summer. I didn't see anything that's going to break my apps or any radical design changes. Now, the new Mac apps with the new iPad styling did look a little bit. I haven't decided if I like it or not, but it looks modern. And you know how Apple has that nasty trick of making stuff look old really mm. easily. Mm-hmm. And they just made my apps look old. Oh, no, no. Like, you jerks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think I'm going to do like a little bit of UI work, but that's easy. Um, so I like that a lot of these were big kind of important changes, but nothing that's going to break me. And that's kind of my sweet spot. Mm. Like give me free stuff without hurting me. That's what I like. I'm a big fan of that. Yes. Uh, I am fascinated 
to see how my applications look and feel and what I can do to update it. I, 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 I am fascinated because I almost no shame to AppKit, but I think maybe if I end up building my applications with UIKit, they would look better since I don't know AppKit, right? I think they might just yeah. look better on, on yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, as an Android developer, you have a surprisingly vast knowledge of UIKit. So <laughs> I'm sure that's absolutely right. Yeah. So I think that that is uh, yeah, key. And yeah, it, it's what I was saying before, too. It's so much easier to customize a UI and tune a UI than it is to write two UIs. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so much easier to customize than to have duplication and have to deal with. And if you don't want duplication, then all the architectural things you have to do. It's so easy to write an app against one UI interface. It's true. No matter what the interface is, you can make it look good. It's just how much time do you have? Make why, it look good. Why do you think I love Xamarin Forms? You know, it's like I exactly. can, <laughs> you know, I can at least, it may take me a little bit longer to make things look pretty and that's with anything, but guess what? It's going to look pretty on all the platforms. So yeah, it's like that. No, I mean, that's why it's successful. It's kind of an, it's a truism in software, but it's kind of obvious when you state it as one is easier than two. Well, of yeah. course, one is easier than two. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, we made it through WWDC. Anything else? I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff I'm sure we missed. Of course, like... there's a million things, but we're this might be one of our longer episodes, so we should probably cut it here. And we'll be talking about this all summer. You know how it goes, everyone. You've been through this drill before. This is episode 208 billion or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true this is 207 we're going to replace 207 we'll come back with another source generators um podcast in the future and hopefully we'll also have simon on to talk about Fody. that'd be pretty awesome talk about how the how he came up with it how it works under the hood and um maybe maybe he can talk about source generators too and how he sees that integrating with with Fody a little bit into the future um, I think that's it, though. I think it's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. Thank you so much, Frank Kruger, for being my partner on this WWDC adventure. And to everybody that's kept with us for 207-plus episodes, like I said, that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.